0: It is pretty much certain that if you are a believer and find yourself in the wilderness, that you will face the most intense temptation that you will have to generally ever face. It's in the time when you are alone, tired, distressed, abused, frustrated, whatever, that temptation... The opportunity of the enemy to tempt you will be the strongest in seeking to draw you away from the Lord. That's what we want to look at today. As you're turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, we want to continue our series as we set up the longer series on promises of God from wilderness to promise and... What that looks like. Today we want to look at the battle for you. Learning how to confront and combat satanic opportunism. In Luke chapter 4, we have the account of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus. And I want to read verses 1 to 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. until an opportune time. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we spend some time now in your word, seeking your instruction for us, in how to navigate times of wilderness, without losing our perspective on who you are, without falling to temptation, O oh God. May you strengthen us through your word. May you instruct us so that we are not unaware of what to expect. And then, Lord, thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit to strengthen our lives, to enable us to say no to the things that displease you, that would seek to steal our hearts away from you. So, Father, I pray for all those gathered here this morning and in the sound of this uh, message out of your word I pray for us all, Lord, for we are in a battle. The battle is yours, but the battle plan that takes place and strategy is uh, in opposition to us and seeks to steal us away from you. Oh, Lord, we don't want that. So I pray that we will cling to you and hold to you, hold fast to you, and you will help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to give you a quick overview by way of a, a slide a series of uh, pictures that will come up on a whole issue of resistance and temptation strategy that the enemy uses. It's the same for all of us, at least the same basic outline, the same basic idea. The enemy fundamentally wants to steal you away from the Lord, wants to steal your heart away from the Lord and will use... At the point of temptation, generally the time of wilderness and struggle in your life, when you feel alone or you feel stressed or tired or abused or you you name what it is, that's generally when he will strike. It's what the Bible points out as the opportune time. Now, in this particular uh, point of temptation, the idea is to... um, steal you away to independence rather than depending on the Lord. Independence will lead to rebellion against God. It will lead to defection from the faith and self-destruction and ultimately to damnation. And that's the general direction of the natural man, the the man who follows the desires of, of the human heart. But for those of us who know the Lord... the the strength that God gives us and the choices that God gives us are to choose dependence on God, especially in a time of wilderness when we're being tempted to go in the opposite direction and to submit to God and then to live a life of self-denial and service to the Lord, which leads to life. And and this, you can break down your life in this picture. This is what the, the tug of war is for your life that's constantly going on. And when you're at that center point, the point of temptation in the wilderness, you're being, the attempt is to pull you away from God. And Jesus sets the example for us here on how we can resist that, how we can confront that and combat that so we won't fall, so that we will be able to withstand. Now, it needs to be noted here that uh, temptation in your life isn't just because you've somehow drifted away from the Lord. In fact, it points out here, Jesus was full of the Spirit and was led of the Spirit. Jesus was in the will of God, will of, will of the Father. He was full of the Spirit, and, the, and Satan came to tempt him and test him. So that temptation comes to your life is not some sort of sign that you must be you must be away from God or you must be living in, in opposition to God. No, no, not at all. It's regular when we are in stressful times as followers of Christ, at times that are really troubling, times that are really tough on us, times perhaps when we feel abused or whatever. And we, may be, we may be living for God. We may be right at the center of God's will. And, 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 the, and the enemy will pounce on us to try and steal us away. So, let's look at this familiar playbook, Satan's familiar playbook. It's, the reason I say it's familiar is because it's, it's been the same since the Garden of Eden. Nothing has ever changed. He's never changed his strategy. You don't change your strategy when it works. Sadly, this strategy works. And if you're not aware of this, and if you're not... Uh, uh, leaning on the strength of God, you will fall prey to these temptations. So let's not do that. What The, the playbook is all about keeping us from trusting and obeying God. It really is simple. The, to understand this, and to, there's no, no complicated theology here at all. It's very simple. God wants us to trust Him and obey Him, Satan wants us not to trust him and not obey him. That's really how our life breaks breaks down. And and the opportunistic circumstances are generally when we're suffering deprivation. Whether it's health or resources or losses in our life is when the enemy grabs the opportunity. It started in the garden of temptation of Adam and Eve. The enemy came to Adam and Eve and basically said, you can't trust God. You won't die if you eat this fruit. In fact, why don't you test him? Why don't you eat it and see? God's keeping something from you. And we know how that worked out. in the wanderings of the people of Israel, which we covered a little bit already so far. The same strategy. In fact, fact, Dr. Luke, who records this event in Jesus' life, lays it out in the same order of the failure of the people of Israel when they're wandering around the desert for 40 years. In uh, Exodus 16, it talks there about that Israel giving in to their cravings, they were complaining uh, to Moses about the fact that they missed the all-you-can-eat buffet that they used to enjoy when they were in slavery in Egypt. And then they went and made a golden calf in Exodus 32. And if you can imagine, they talked about, let's make gods who will go before us, and give us what God apparently isn't giving to us. In in fact, if you read that text, you will be shocked to notice that, if you haven't been there for a while, that they actually credited the calf they had built with rescuing them out of Egypt. And then in Exodus 17, they tested and rebelled against the Spirit of God. Once again, grumbling and complaining and frustrated and they were heard to say is the lord among us or not verse 7 of exodus 17 now this whole um, temptation event in jesus life is is uh, theologically set up to take our minds to the garden of eden and to the people of israel just by some of the descriptions that surround the event in Luke chapter three, there's the genealogy of Jesus, and unlike the Matthew genealogy, this genealogy runs Jesus' genealogy right back to Adam, on purpose. You'll see at the last verse, verse 38 of Luke chapter three, "The son of Seth, the son of Adam, the Son of God." And now we're talking about the temptation of the Son of God. The idea here is to remind us of the failure of the first Adam. And the fact that the second Adam must not fail. We're we're in anticipation as we start to read this story. And we realize if the second Adam fails, we're all doomed. If Jesus doesn't succeed in this temptation, if he falls prey to this temptation, there is no hope for us. And of course, the 40 days in in the desert are intended intentionally to remind us about the 40 years of Israel wandering around because they had failed to serve God and tested Him. And so now we come into this story of God's champion led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. It's a showdown intentionally set up by God, the Father. It's the showdown for us Because the wilderness, you see, refines us. The wilderness refutes lies, if we will allow it. The wilderness reveals who we really are, or at least where we presently are in our relationship with God. It's how wilderness makes or breaks you. So don't be ignorant Your response to a temptation can change your entire life for good or for bad for some time. This is stuff we can't afford to lose on. We cannot. And we don't have to. Temptations are intended to be shortcuts based on artist satisfaction with the Lord. They're intended to... Temptations are intended to Train us to depend upon ourselves, to be independent of God. God isn't taking care of you. You need to take care of yourself to subvert our loyalty to Christ. So let's look at the first temptation. And I, I would introduce it this way be on high alert for this. Voices that aren't healthy especially when you aren't either. Voices that aren't healthy, especially when you aren't either. Jesus has just spent 40 days fasting. Do you see in the text? He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. And Satan pounced on him right then. It says right in the text. And the devil said to him, right then, the unhealthy voice of Satan... Praise upon the weakened situation of Jesus physically because he was hungry. It's the subtle or not so subtle questioning of God's provision and care, the temptation to trade dependence on the Spirit for the independent replacement of the physical and the material. Satan says this to Jesus, if you are the son of God, is he questioning whether or not he's the son of God? Satan knows full well he's the son of God. Satan absolutely knows who this is. The grammar, in fact, not only permits, but drives us to the translation that would be more accurately, um, accurate emotionally, since you are the son of God. Start acting like it. That's basically what Satan is saying to him. Since you are the son of God, start acting like it. Life should be better for you. Command this stone to become bread. Demand your provision rights. You deserve better. You shouldn't be hungry. that temptation pushes into our life as well when we are in situations like this. Shouting at us in our need, our needy time. You're a child of God. He should be treating you better than he's treating you. You you should have what a child of the king should have. You ever heard that kind of language? I have. You shouldn't be doing without. You should have the best of everything. The temptation at a time like this, where we feel a certain sense of deprivation, is a temptation to start feeding ourselves with better things than fasting. I should be feasting, independent things that we decide ourselves. You can tell when um, you are being tempted to listen to the voice of the enemy to go rogue on God, to go independent on God and fashion your own idea, fashion your own feeding. I should be feeding on this. I should be going this way. When you don't seek counsel from anyone else. When you don't tell those who are closest to you about the voices that you're hearing, about the ideas that you're coming up with, about the direction that you think you should be taking, about the need that you think you should be finding a way to meet. When you keep it to yourself, and you don't tell those who you know are spiritual or those close to you who care about you or love you or whatever, you're keeping it to yourself because inside you know that they would tell me don't do this. And I want to do this. Until it becomes a physical, material driving force in our life, if you're not careful. It leads to addictions and security and greed. And we get good rationalizing why we need more of this or that that God hasn't given to us. Daryl Bach, in his commentary on this section, says this, Will Satan succeed in testing us to take bread that God is not asking us to eat? While we ignore the most basic meal of all, his will? How Jesus answer this? Jesus said to him, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. Our cravings, after unauthorized thing can actually take us away from God. Because after all, Jesus was at the center of God's will in the fasting that he was participating in. This is, this is what God had for him at that moment. This is what God wanted for him. God wanted him to be hungry for the things of God. To learn what that meant. To learn that God can be dependent, that the Father can be depended upon And to show us that that could take place. It was why God permitted this to be the situation in the first place. For Jesus to move on independently choosing to release himself from what God had, the the moment that God had placed him in would be to, to fail all of us. Jesus was living without food at that time because it isn't enough for life. Man cannot live on bread alone. Uh, Matthew continues in his uh, version of this. Matthew continues to tell the, the remainder of that text in Deuteronomy 8.3. But man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's where life food comes from. Jesus was spending his time there. Bread alone, things alone cannot sustain real life. It cannot. They can provide life for a time, but only the bread of life, the word of God can sustain us for eternity. Life is not defined by physical provision, but by God's will and depending on his lead. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. There's a second temptation that uh, pops up here starting at verse five. He basically says, he takes uh, Jesus to a high place and shows him in an instant all the kingdoms, the splendor and glory of those kingdoms, and literally says to, to Jesus, what are you, the son of God, doing wandering around homeless in the wilderness when you should have all of these Kingdoms and the splendor of these kingdoms and power, and all that comes along with it, the responsibility from your status as the Son of God, your credentials. It's the offer given to Jesus to release himself from the hard journey of of suffering and pain to get prosperous, to get a prosperous and quick offer of power and importance. It ultimately becomes the temptation to trade loyalty to God for loyalty to other gods. How insidious this is as well. Satan loves to to find us in a moment when we are struggling in the wilderness to to wonder about our worth, to wonder about our, our value, to wonder about our contribution, to wonder why we are in the situation we're in. We're not getting the position that we think we should have. We don't have the responsibility that we think we should have. We think we deserve more authority. We think we deserve to enjoy the splendor of what is available. And it's there that Satan comes knocking on our door. This happens in church all the time. You can have all of this. Look at how he words it. It will all be yours. So that's, that's, I mean, every commercial, every, every marketing principle is like, you can have it all. The, the drive in humanity is, have it all, you deserve it. The idea to act independent of God and his will and what he wants for you you know, we should always be nervous when the devil is giving us something, right? It's the devil who says, the devil says, you know, here, I'll give all of this to you. I I have an offer, I have a shortcut. I have a shortcut to your dream. (laughs) Without all the hard work of getting there and the suffering that it takes, that, that the Father has mapped out for you, the temptation to get it quick and easy, the prize and... The power and none of the pain if you worship me, Satan says. There it is. He out and said it to Jesus. He usually doesn't say it that explicitly to us. I guess he was respecting the fact that Jesus knew anyway. He doesn't tack that on for us. He just says you can have it all. He doesn't say if you worship me, but that's what comes with it. When you decide to act independently of God and seek after ambition and power and splendor and prestige and all that you think you deserve, the offer of the promotion at the workplace, what comes with it? You have to ask yourself not that all promotions are bad, but what comes with it for position and splendor and authority? Does it erode away your passion for God, your time with God? Well, what, has to, what, what, what has to go in order for you to gain the splendor and position that is offered to you? What, what has to go in your life? Because something has to go. Time with your family? Oh, this is for my family. No, no you're for your family. Your family doesn't need money. They need you. It's an invitation to idolatry. And Jesus sees right through it. Serve and worship Satan? What does Jesus say? No, no, no. It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Not your job, not your position, not your prestige, not splendor, not responsibility, not authority. Serve God. Any offer that requires you to trade your worship of God for anyone or anything is an empty promise that will lead to slavery and utter destruction Because you're hitching the wagon of your life to an unstoppable caravan to oblivion. You either worship Satan or you worship God. It's the crossroads of temptation. And finally, and this is really important for our leaning into our promise series this third temptation, really critical. You see, the third temptation, Satan finally, it finally occurs to him, Jesus is using the Word of God. I know what I'll do, I'll use the Word of God. And so Satan throws the very scriptures that Jesus is referring to right at him as part of temptation. Now, how can the scriptures be part of temptation? Well, Satan has demonstrated it to us right here. He says to Jesus, look, he takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple and again says to him, if you're the son of God, or literally since you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. You're important. And God has a promise, doesn't he, in Psalm 91, that if this happens, he'll catch you. And you'll be fine. You see what Satan is actually doing here? He's making a promise of God become toxic in our lives. How could God's word ever become toxic if you mishandle it? If you abuse it, if you misuse it, if you manhandle it instead of allowing the spirit of God to teach you the word of God and what it really means. This third temptation is critical to set us up for a promise series. It's the poisoning of a promise to undermine your faith in God. Wait a second, I, I thought this was about that. I thought, I thought that Satan's inviting Jesus to demonstrate how much faith he has in God's word. Go ahead, throw yourself off the temple. No, no this isn't about strong faith. This is about doubting and testing God. This is a temptation to use the promises of God to actually further the sovereignty of your own independent will rather than God remaining rightfully sovereign over the enacting of his promises for your, our good and, our, and, and his glory. In other words, what we are doing is we're flipping a promise from God being in charge of the promise to us being in charge of the promise. Jesus, you go ahead and be in charge of the promise. You throw yourself off the temple and force God to save you. That's turning a promise into an opportunity for you to actually control your own life instead of the very purpose of a promise, which is to to submit ourselves to the will and way of God as sovereign over our lives. It's abundantly different. It's forcing God to act on your behalf. It's using God's promises to become your own playbook for controlling the life the way you want to have it. And using God's word, or should I say abusing God's word, to get what you want. To presumptuously have the promises of God all surrounding us and then force God to follow your game plan and use his promises against him. But you said, you said I could do this. Demonstrate Satan is saying to Jesus that God can really be trusted. It's a temptation to prop up our sagging faith by always testing God to see if what he says is true. Living in doubt rather than faith. Trusting in God only if you can constantly see great examples of his miraculous power. Remember what Jesus says later on in his ministry? In Matthew sixteen four, "...a wicked and adulterous generation demands a sign." And beloved, we have entire ministries built upon this misuse of God's word. Entire ministries that are constantly manhandling and manipulating man-created miracles and and sideshows. To get money out of people's pockets Virtually every evangelical And I'll use quotations Racketeer Who are raising large gobs of money Use this very strategy They tell you that God doesn't want you As a child of the king To be poor or sick After all, doesn't he promise that he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully? They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Get your wallets out now and give money to this ministry because if you do, God has to keep your foot from striking against a stone. Do you think that promise was given to us so that we could recklessly jump off a tall building and say, God has to save me? Does anybody really think that? Nobody here probably because you're not gullible. That's why you're here. You have good taste. But you know what? When you get beaten down, you're in the wilderness and you can't see any way out of anything and it's, it's just beating down on you and you don't know what to do. It becomes pretty tempting to say, "Where's my promise? Where, where's where's my health recovery? Where, where's 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 my job? Where where's my provision?" Darryl Bach says, "We test the emergency broadcasting system of God's presence and presume on how He should react." And here's the problem, beloved. Promises become toxic in our lives if we handle them this way. Because what if God doesn't catch you the way you think he should catch you? Has he failed? Is his word, is his word a failure, a flop? But you said, God. Do we, do we, are, we, are we the people who give God this five-star ratings or two-star ratings or one-star ratings based on how our life is going like some sort of Netflix mo- movie? That's what Satan's proposing here. And how does, what does God, what does Jesus call this? Verse 12, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not test God. Oh, there's one place in the scriptures where we're allowed to test him, but only one. Malachi 3. Let's go ahead. Test me in this. Test me in giving. See if I won't take care of you. That's the only place God allows a test. But nowhere else. You can't go up to the roof of this church and jump off and claim Psalm 91. I'm sorry, you cannot. We're going to have to pick you up as a splat on the asphalt. Because that's not trusting God. That's testing God. There's a huge difference. Life is about trusting God and not testing Him. Otherwise, we are actually trading in our faith in God for sovereignty over Him. God, I, I want to be in control, and I'm going to declare which promises I'm going to be in control of and how they're going to work out for me. That's testing God. That's not trusting God. Promises are never our script for commanding God. They are His grace to us according to His will and purpose. Says at the end of the text, Satan left him until an opportune time. What's the opportune time? When you're tired, when you're lonely, when you're hurting, when you're stressed, when you're afraid, when you're pressured when you're, mis- when you're uh, mistreated, when you're canceled? When's the opportune time, beloved? Right now. Because I think I read about all of us, didn't I? Be on guard. And what did our Savior do? Jesus turned away and remained on the hard road of the mission to Calvary. He did not short circuit it and give over his allegiance to Satan to get the crown without the cross because for us that would have been doom forever. No, he avoided and rejected the temptation of Satan and stayed on the hard road that the Father had put before him right to Calvary to bear our sins on the cross of Calvary so that we could have eternal life. And not only that, But the power and presence of the Holy Spirit living in us, the same God who who defeated Satan in these temptations is the God who lives in our hearts, enabling us to do the same. So call on the power of the Lord. Don't get toxic about the promises. Call on the power of the Lord and trust in his promises as he gives them to us according to his will and according to the purposes he has for us uniquely and for his glory and our good. And I invite you in light of that to join with us now at the Lord's table as we remember the sacrifice that Christ willingly made for us. Beloved, every temptation that comes your way offers you one of two directions. You will either refuse the temptation, refuse to be independent of God and grow more towards the Lord in the likeness of his son, or you will choose to be independent at that moment and move toward rebellion and away from God. There's only one of two directions in a temptation. And Jesus has taught us the direction of life. We respond to temptations by proclaiming what we have in Christ from his word. We we respond to temptations by using truth and living truth. Might I urge you today to consider your situation and your vulnerabilities to temptation and not be ignorant, but choose dependence on God every time. Our Father, I pray and thank you for your instruction to us. But not only instruction, but empowering us with the Holy Spirit. The example of Jesus is laid before us. The power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Lord, I pray that we will take heed to your word. For I ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.